after the winter darkness, the frosty mornings and the rich comfort food, after the night spent wrapped in a blanket with a bowl of hot soup in my hands, the whole season cabbage and broccoli and the squashes that kept us company since autumn, when spring comes, I crave green in the kitchen. Green is a state of mind. It represents a deeper connection with nature, lighter seasonal meals, and an abundance of spring vegetables, from artichokes to asparagus, from fava beans to fresh peas and agretti, my favorites. You notice the change at the market, in vegetable gardens and in your cooking habits. Today, we'll welcome spring into our kitchen with a special celebratory episode. Before the new episode, I would love to thank you for the precious support, even during these months when we've been silent here with our podcast. I'm touched by your comments, humble by your feedback, happy to know that this podcast brings some peace, inspiration, practical advice and lightheartedness to your daily life during such difficult times. If you want to stay updated as not to miss a single episode, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you are listening to a podcast and share cooking with an Italian accent with your friends. If you like this show and listen to this podcast on an Apple device, please consider rating and reviewing the show. How to do it? It is very simple and straightforward. Open the podcast app, click on our podcast and scroll to the bottom of the podcast main page. There you can rate and review the show. This will enormously help us be more visible so that new people can discover us and share the same passion for Italian food. Finally, remember that you will find all the links to the recipes we mentioned today in the episode show notes. And don't forget to visit juleskitchen.com for new stories and recipes from Tuscany. And now, let's start! Ciao! My name is Giulia Scarpaleggia and I'm a Tuscan-born and bred country girl, a home cook, a food writer and a photographer. I teach Tuscan cooking classes in my house in the countryside and I've been sharing honest, reliable Italian recipes for 10 years now through my cookbooks and my blog, JulesKitchen.com. If you love everything about Italian food, big crowded tables and seasonal ingredients, join us and follow this podcast, Cooking with an Italian Accent. My name is Giulia Scarpaleggia and you are listening to Cooking with an Italian Accent, episode 46. I live in the countryside, in what used to be a small farm. My great-grandfather was a farmer. He had a vineyard where he would produce a wine which was way better than the average wine of the time. Or at least, this is what an uncle always tells me. He had a few fields where he would grow wheat and alfalfa, rotating the crops year after year. An olive grove, beehives, two cows and a goat. Then he had a vegetable garden, a productive one which would make the family almost totally self-sufficient. My grandma had a smaller vegetable garden that I can remember very well, a few rows of tomatoes and a patch with artichokes. During summer, I would walk in between the tomato plants, the green smell of their leaves, the strongest memory of my childhood. Over the course of time, she let the vegetable garden go, dedicating more time to her beloved flowers. My parents belong to that generation, grown in the 60s and 70s, who did everything they could 
to get free from the countryside, intended as agriculture. They work all day, my dad in an office, my mom first in a tailor company and then at the university canteen. And when they would come back home, they had other projects which certainly did not include taking care of a vegetable garden. That's why I grew up in the myth of a self-sufficient farm, something we're aiming to now as they both retired and now have time to take care of constantly expanding vegetable garden. And this is also the reason why I've always had a fascination for everything that grows naturally in the wild. Before a vegetable garden and an orchard, there were wild herbs, edge rows of blackberries teeming with life at the end of summer, pine nuts collected under century-old pine trees, and the mushrooms that grandma would bring home in a wicker basket. Growing up, I've always felt a strong attraction for everything that would grow in the wild, from tiny tart apples to forage bitter herbs. Spring is the season when enthusiast foragers can fill up their baskets with the most delicate edible flowers, especially Robinia flowers and elderflowers. I grew up recognizing spring in the smell of Robinia blooming underneath my bedroom window. As a child, I used to play with dried Robinia flowers collected on the ground to make what I would call mangiarini, inedible portions which were the closest attempt to recreate real food with what I could collect in the garden. Now that I moved a few meters from my parents' house, the big Robinia tree is just in front of my kitchen window. During spring, I keep my windows wide open to let that wonderful honeyed aroma in. Robinia, also known as black locust or false acacia, was introduced in Europe from North America in 1601 by the botanist Jean Robin, gardener and herbalist of the French kings. We can still admire that first Robinia I planted in Paris in Place Dauphine. Apparently, all the European acacia trees descend from that first tree planted by Jean Robin. Bees love Robinia. You probably had the chance to taste a spoon of its pale runny honey, floral and delicate. When you bite into a Robinia flower fritter, you are first inebriated by the persistent smell, then you are hit by the mellow honey taste of the flowers, with a delicate hint of vanilla. Robinia flowers are considered a delicacy, not just by bees. The most common use of Robinia flowers in the kitchen is to deep fry them and serve the fritters either as a sweet treat or as an appetizer. But passionate foragers have been using the robinia flowers also to make a risotto with parmigiano reggiano or in a cake batter for a moist, heady crumb or even in an apple jam. The fritters are the most straightforward recipe to use robinia flowers. Make a light beer batter quickly dip the clusters of robinia flowers and deep fry them until crisp and golden. It makes for a seasonal treat to be enjoyed still warm, drizzled with robinia honey or sprinkled with sugar. These fritters have a heady scent of honey and a delicate floral taste. If you prefer to serve them as an appetizer, skip the sugar in the beer butter and sprinkle the fritters with salt once they're fried. They can be paired with other fried vegetables, like zucchini flowers and sage leaves, and served in a mixed platter of fried delicacy. Elderflowers could be fried in exactly the same way, and served either savory or sprinkled with sugar. So let's talk about elderflowers. As soon as April comes, 
when I drive in the countryside or along the motorway, I'm constantly searching for the white elderflowers, as their first appearance represent the blooming of spring, the good season of aging. And all of a sudden, there they are, creamy white parasol-shaped clusters of tiny flowers with a heady aroma, punctuating the countryside, especially along the streams and on the edges of cultivated fields and woods. Elderflowers, just like Robinia flowers, can be used to make fritters, either sweet or savory. They can be infused overnight in cream or milk to make gelato, panna cotta, or simply to have a seasonal pastry cream or custard with a heady, unmistakable smell. One of the most common use of elderflowers is also to steep them in a hot water and sugar with some lemons to make a syrup or a cordial. Use this elderflower syrup to soak a sponge cake or to make a fruit sorbet. Raspberry or strawberry puree is a perfect match. The cordial can be diluted in still water or sparkly water for a refreshing summer drink, or even with some prosecco and tonic water to make a jugo, a spritz-like aperitivo from Alto Adige in the north of Italy. Use elderflowers as quick as possible after picking them before they start smelling like cat pee. Unlike Rovinia flowers, elderflowers can be dried. Lay them upside down on a clean towel and let them dry completely. Then, gently shake the parasol-shaped clusters and collect the tiny flowers. Kept in a closed jar, the dried flowers retain almost all their smell for months and can be used to make infusions, but also in cookies and meringues. According to the Oxford Companion to Food, There are several flowers which can be dipped in light butter and fried to make delicate sweet fritters. Along with elderflowers and robinia flowers, apple blossoms, wisterias and lilacs are edible and delicious. Borage has pretty blue edible flowers too, with a delicate flavor, which have been used since the Renaissance time to decorate food and in salads. Fresh herb flowers are edible just like their leaves, Take chai, for example, whose pompon-like lilac flowers retain a mild oniony taste. Scatter the petals over a potato salad to complement a fresh herb dressing and to add a note of color. Same can be said for rosemary and its teeny tiny light blue flowers. They have a mild taste of rosemary and can be sprinkled over a parmigiano risotto. Or they can be used to give an interesting botanical note to a golden pear gem. Lightly dust them with flour and fry them in hot oil to get popcorn-like treats to serve as an appetizer. Many blossoms, like roses, the protagonist of the month of May, and jasmine, can be crystallized to decorate pastries, chocolates, and cookies. They lend their flowery romantic aroma also to preserves, syrups, and sorbets. After the forage flowers, let's talk about fresh herbs. This is another aspect that makes me enormously excited at the arrival of spring. If I had to identify a distinguishing feature of my cooking style, it would be the generous use of fresh herbs, always paired with a healthy amount of extra virgin olive oil. Tuscan and Italian cooking in general rely heavily on fresh herbs. You won't find dried herbs in our spice racks. Instead, we often pick them directly from a pot or from the garden following seasonal availability. There are perennial herbs, such as rosemary and sage, that are a constant in many typical dishes throughout the year, from roast meat to baked fish. 
other herbs appear in our cooking only during their peak season. Think of summertime basil or wild fennel, which marry beautifully with other ingredients that share the same season, such as ripe tomatoes or new potatoes. I've always had plenty of fresh herbs at my disposal. In my grandma's garden, all throughout the year, sage bushes grew underneath the olive trees and enormous rosemary plants along the fence. A bay tree shaded her house. Wild fennel and calamint, a Mediterranean member of the mint family, would appear after the frost, welcoming the good season. And in the summer, basil and parsley took their turn in the garden. This is why I use fresh herbs in almost every dish I cook, following habits passed down from my family and Tuscan heritage. Let's have a look at the most common herbs found in Tuscan cuisine. If you introduce these fresh herbs into your recipes, you'll instantly add some Italian flair to your food. Salvia, sage. Sage, rosemary and garlic are often considered the sacred triad of Tuscan seasoning. Finally minced and mixed with salt, they become a versatile and ubiquitous seasoning that can be used as a wrap for any meat or even sprinkled over focaccia just before baking. This flavor scheme appears in almost every Tuscan meat roast. Pork, beef, turkey, chicken, rabbit, lamb, you name it. It works just as well with fish. Think about a whole roast sea bream or sea bass, or with a tray of vegetables, such as potatoes, pumpkin or onions. Sage becomes a protagonist when you fry it. Crisp the leaves in butter to dress ravioli, or in olive oil to flavor boiled cannellini beans. Or dip them in butter first and deep fry them until puffed and golden for an unforgettable appetizer. Rosmarino, rosemary. Rosemary grows in big bushes, a perennial ornament to Tuscan fields and gardens. The herb is commonly used on roast meat and fish and makes a perfect co-star for chickpeas and potatoes. Rosemary also plays an important role in Tuscan baking. Just before Easter, in all the bakeries of Florence, you'll find Pandera Merino, a sweet bread bun studded with raisins, glossed with a sugar syrup and perfumed with rosemary. The same flavor combination again appears just before On Says Day in Panco Santi. A loaf of bread heavy with raisins and walnuts, rich with olive oil and wine, speckled with black pepper and rosemary. And don't forget to add a few rosemary needles to your grapes ghiacciata or to your castagnaccio, a chestnut cake made with raisins and pine nuts. Nepitella or mentuccia, calamint. Known as nepitella in Tuscany and mentuccia in Rome, calamint tastes like a mellow mint with fresh oregano undertones. It is used heavily in Tuscan cooking, as we could never imagine mushrooms or artichokes without it. You can grill porcini with a few sprigs of nepitella and a clove of garlic, or make a pasta sauce with dried porcini and nepitella. Olive oil preserved mushrooms are usually flavored with this herb, along with garlic and black peppercorns. Since mushrooms and eggplants often have the same meaty texture and a similar smoky flavor when cooked, I like to add a few leaves to my sauté or grilled eggplant stew. As for artichokes, you can trim their tough outer leaves, thinly slice them and then sauté them with nepitella to make a pasta sauce. Or you can even stuff them with parsley and nepitella, plus a good handful of pancetta. If you can't find nepitella, try a combination of fresh oregano and mint instead. Finocchietto selvatico, wild fennel. 
Wild fennel is easy to spot from afar. It usually grows in between the spring and summer when you'll see its feathery green fronds lining country roads, along with poppies, mint and other wild herbs. In the summer, the plants grow tall with yellow umbrella-shaped flowers. Even if you can find it at your local farmer's market, nothing beats walking just outside and plucking a few fresh fronds for your next meal. Unlike its cultivated counterpart, wild fennel does not produce a bulb, only stalks and fronds. It is delicate and herbaceous with a slightly sweetness and clean scent of anise, just like the aroma of the sweet crisp bulbs you can buy at the market. In the Tuscan culinary tradition, all parts of wild fennel have important uses. Fronds, stalks, seeds, even flowers and pollen. Fennel seeds are widely used in many traditional recipes, such as finocchiona, a Florentine-cured pork meat whose name and distinct taste are given by fennel seeds. Another recipe where wild fennel is fundamental is roast pork liver. In this case, the dried stalks are used to skewer pieces of pork liver, which have been seasoned lavishly with salt, black pepper and fennel seeds, and wrapped in fat to roast. The anise aroma of the fennel marries beautifully with the rich and slightly sweet liver. I am partial to wild fennel fronds, though, for their gentle herbaceous scent. I like to use them with roast fish or in a pesto with almonds and pecorino cheese, ideal for dressing fresh pasta or potato gnocchi. Prezzemolo, parsley. Say come il prezzemolo, you are like parsley. This Italian saying, often delivered with a tone of annoyance, means that you show up everywhere and are impossible not to bump into, in reference to an old-fashioned habit of sprinkling finely chopped parsley on almost everything. Parsley has always been widely used in Italian cooking and the plant grows nearly everywhere. Still, parsley is often an underrated herb, considered generic and lacking in personality. It's no wonder. Supermarket varieties are overgrown with enormous, tough leaves that have already lost all their fragrance. Young, fresh parsley is completely different. Its tender leaves have a fresh, green and woody taste with plenty of personality to add to a dish. It especially complements brine ingredients such as capers and olives and most kinds of fish. I mostly use parsley for seafood, such as in spaghetti alle vongole, where a sprinkling of leaves brightens up the dish, and to make salsa verde. It is a thick and vinegary sauce made with plenty of parsley, capers, breadcrumbs soaked in vinegar, finely chopped or mashed boiled eggs, anchovies, and plenty of extra virgin olive oil. The sauce is then commonly used with boiled fish, vegetables, and meat, especially beef tongue and lampredotto, boiled cow stomach which is dressed and sandwiched in a panino for a quintessential Florentine street food. Other herbs. Basilico, basil. Basil is the scent of summer. In our garden, there's always a patch of it growing in the shade of an olive tree. I like to add a few leaves to a pan of sautéed zucchini or a tomato salad or a panzanella. A leaf always goes into a jar of homemade tomato sauce or whole peeled tomatoes. Along with garlic, Basil is also the unmistakable smell of papal pomodoro, Tuscany's tomato bread soup. We also like to rub the leaves on our bare skin to protect it from mosquito bites. Dragoncello, tarragon. Sienese tarragon, which is milder and more delicate than the French variety, 
is the stuff of legend. It is very difficult to find or buy it. Legend has it that the only way to grow Dragoncello is to receive a plant as a gift from someone who already has it in their garden. It is used in Siena to make a pesto, as well as a sauce that is very similar to salsa verde. Origano, oregano. This is probably the only herb we use dried instead of fresh. It grows on the coast, especially in the south of Italy, and has a distinct Mediterranean taste. Pair it with tomatoes and peppers and sprinkle it over mozzarella or pizza. Majorana, marjoram. An herb in the same family as oregano, marjoram is more common in Liguria than in Tuscany. It is mainly used with eggs, meat, mushrooms and fish, but in our region it is the herb of choice for seasoning tortelli maremmani, the large ricotta and spinach tortelli from the south coast of Tuscany. Timo, thyme, also known as pepolino, thyme is used in soups, roast potatoes and grilled meat. Along the Tuscan coast, it is also the herbal choice for seafood dishes. And now, let's keep celebrating spring with vegetables. Artichokes. Artichokes lead you from winter to spring. Pied up on the market stalls next to cauliflower, Tuscan kale and broccoli on frosty winter mornings, they are still there months later, when the warmer spring days finally come, along with the fresh peas, bunches of asparagus and basketfuls of fava beans. Their sturdy and spiky outer leaves protect a delicate heart, which can be eaten raw, simply dipped in your best extra virgin olive oil and salt. This is what we call pinsimonio, an informal way of eating raw vegetables by dipping them in small bowls of olive oil. Served like this, spring onions, artichoke hearts and even sticks of celery and carrots or wedges of fennel can open a lunch in the garden with your friends or a more intimate dinner on a fresh and elegant note. When I was young, as soon as the warmth of spring woke up the countryside and our vegetable garden, my grandmother would sift through the huge dusty green leaves of her artichoke plants searching for the tender new artichokes. Those would become a risotto, finished with a sprinkling of parmigiano reggiano and fresh parsley, or more often she would treat us with carciofi fritti. Those artichoke hearts, buttered and fried until golden, are still one of my favorite appetizers, seasoned with flaky sea salt and a squeeze of lemon juice. Asparagus. Thick and white, bright green with their tips turning purple, wild and slender, the family of asparagus is wide and diverse. My father used to love them quickly blanched and dipped in mayonnaise. But a Tuscan habit, but so delicious. My grandmother would make a frittata out of the wild ones that she would find in the woods. Now I prefer to grill them until slightly charred. A soft-boiled egg, a generous handful of fresh herbs like mint and rocket, and a drizzle of extra virgin olive oil turn them into a light spring meal. Have some crusty bread ready. Agretti, monk's bird. Their scientific name is salsola soda, but they are known in Italy also as Barba di Frate or Monksbird. They grow in sandy seashores along the Mediterranean coast and are especially popular in Tuscany, even though I started spotting them at the market just a few years ago. The leaves of Agretti look like chives and they have a succulent texture with a nice crunch when eaten raw. They have a salty, mineral, slightly lemony flavor, similar to spinach. And just like spinach, they tend to shrink once cooked, 
so be generous with the amount of agretti you're planning to clean. So how to clean them? Remove their pinkish roots one by one. Collect them in a colander and run them under some cold water to remove the soil. Then pile them up on a large pot of simmering water and just plunge them for a few minutes. Drain the agretti and dress them with a bright citronette made with extra virgin olive oil and a good squeeze of lemon. Serve the agretti as a light seasonal side to a grilled fish or a roast chicken. Toss them with spaghetti, burrata and anchovies for a rich pasta dish or mix them with ricotta and a hint of nutmeg for the filling of a savory spring pie. Fava beans. Just like cleaning agretti one by one and just like removing leaf after leaf to reach the pale artichoke heart, shelling fava beans is a form of meditation. Spring vegetables require your patience, first to find them after the winter frost, then to bring them to the table. Fava beans are often the protagonists of spring Tuscan picnics. They end up in the baskets along with salame, pecorino cheese, a crusty loaf of bread and a flask of red wine. The slightly bitter taste complements the milky young pecorino, a perfect match that can be easily adapted to a dressing for fresh tagliolini or a creamy risotto. Fresh peas. I shelled fresh peas for the first time when I was an adult. I was probably too young to remember when our peas came from my grandma's garden. My mom, on the other hand, had always bought frozen peas. They would come out of a plastic bag and were convenient and very quick to prepare. Those peas, cooked with garlic and sage, were our go-to side dish when spring came, especially on Sundays, along with roast beef or lamb. Once you try the fresh ones, though, there's no going back. It is not just the striking different flavor, so sweet and delicate. You fall in love with the ritual of shelling them, the almost hypnotic rhythm with which you open the velvety pod that holds a family of shy peas, the soft thud of the peas falling into the salad bowl, their scent of green and spring. At the market, you can spot fresh peas from a distance, usually piled along with bunches of fresh garlic, a hint or how to cook them. Fresh peas and garlic are a match made in heaven, one that starts in a typical Florentine side dish, piselli alla fiorentina. This is the end of today's episode of our podcast, Cooking with an Italian Accent. I hope you enjoyed this celebration of spring, its produce and its recipes. This is also the last episode of the first series of Cooking with an Italian Accent. We'll take a break to work on our cookbook and we'll be back during the summer with a special edition, a short collection of four episodes to celebrate together the season of long, light days, tomatoes, cantaloupes, peaches and all the summer produce. In the meantime, you'll find us on the blog, on Instagram and you'll receive updates from us thanks to our newsletter, Letters from Tuscany. I'll leave you the link in bio so that you can follow us and join our community. If you love this episode, share it with your friends and on social media using the hashtag cookingwithanitalianaccent and tagging Jules Kitchen. If you have questions about Italian and Tuscan cooking, just email me at jules at juleskitchen.com or join our Facebook group, Cooking with Jules Kitchen. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you are listening to a podcast and share it with your friends too. You will find all the links to the recipes we mentioned today in this episode's show notes. 
Don't forget to visit juleskitchen.com for new stories and recipes from Tuscany. So I'll find you back here during the summer. And for the moment, ciao!